Well, before we begin, I do want to echo what Nancy had said, wishing a happy Father's Day to all of the fathers and grandfathers and father figures in our congregation today for the role that fathers play in raising kids, for the ways in which they serve as an example of love. We honor those things today and give thanks for all who helped shape us into who we are. So our second lesson this morning comes to us from the book of Revelation. There is admittedly a, quite a span of time in between our first lesson from Numbers and this one, but they both have a lot to teach us about what it means to be journeying to God's future. So we'll be reading from chapter 7, verses 9 through 10, and continuing with verses 15 through 17. And I invite you to continue listening for God's word to us this day. After this, I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white with palm branches in their hands, They cried out in a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God and worship God day and night within the temple. And the one who is seated on the throne will shelter them. They will hunger no more and thirst no more. The sun will not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of the water of life. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So if you experienced a little bit of scriptural whiplash between our first and second readings this morning, you can take heart in knowing that you are in good company. When I shared the text that I'd be preaching on this Sunday, one of my colleagues gave me a quizzical look and said, really? You're preaching on numbers? (laughs) And to be fair, I completely understand the skepticism. The book of Numbers, if you're not familiar, is squarely in the middle of the Israelites' 40-year time in the wilderness, caught between the triumph of leaving oppression and slavery in Egypt in the early chapters of Exodus but still before the hope and final instructions the people receive in Deuteronomy as they stand on the cusp of entering into the promised land. In the book of Numbers, we witness Moses having increasingly fraught interactions with the people as frustration, uncertainty, and fear abound. As the book of Proverbs wisely notes, where there is no vision, the people perish. And it certainly feels as though the vision of the promised land that once led the people out of Egypt is beginning to fade. For every step or two forward in numbers, there seems to be a step or two back. And in our first lesson that Carl read, we see the journey, the toll that the journey is taking on them. Moses' sister Miriam, a stalwart presence along this journey, passes away. And Moses' brother Aaron will soon follow at the end of the chapter. Even Moses himself is seemingly beginning to have doubts creep in, as God accuses him in this passage of losing trust and faith that God will provide for them, even in the midst of these dire circumstances. And Moses is told that he will not be the one to bring the people into the promised land. There's a reason we don't cover the book of Numbers very often in worship. It's frustrating and challenging and even disheartening 
to be in a wilderness place, stuck in a liminal in-between time of uncertainty before you arrive at the place that you actually want to go. It's not a perfect measure, but I do think that it's telling that while the lectionary, the three-year cycle of scripture that the church follows, has 18 passages from the book of Exodus and 13 from Deuteronomy, but there are only two that are used from the entire book of Numbers. It's frustrating to be in a liminal space. And I think that there's a temptation that all of us have to want to skip ahead on the journey, to arrive at the promised land and not look back. But doing so can obscure the truth that almost every journey and every triumph involves hard-fought struggle and delays and disappointments along the way. As we noted earlier in this service, tomorrow is Juneteenth, a day that was recently designated as a national holiday, but one that had been celebrated long before that, and a day that remembers the two-and-a-half-year delay before the freedom promised in the Emancipation Proclamation finally came to those who had been enslaved in Galveston, Texas. As Opal Lee, one of the key figures in making Juneteenth a federal holiday, put it, no one is ever free until we're all free. And so this date both celebrates a milestone on the journey to true freedom, while also serving as a reminder that freedom did not and does not come easily. I truly believe that all of us want to arrive at a promised land where all people are given equal opportunity and treatment, no matter what their racial identity might be or what their gender identity might be or sexual orientation. But when we look at the disparities that still exist, I think that most of us can agree that we have not yet arrived at that place. We still find ourselves, for lack of a better metaphor, in the same place that the Israelites were in, in the wilderness, on the journey, hopeful that one day we will arrive at a time when people are not judged by the color of their skin, by the, but by the content of their character. And yet we can be frustrated by how far off that time can feel. Yes, we as a country may have left behind a particular type of oppression and chattel slavery through the Emancipation Proclamation and left behind Jim Crow laws that made segregation legal, but we still see the effects and legacies of those laws and policies creep in, intentionally or unintentionally, structurally or interpersonally, in far more subtle ways. One historical illustration of this is a famous account from the life of Booker T. Washington. Washington, who began life enslaved, was freed by the Emancipation Proclamation at the age of eight, along with his family. And he would go on to become the first president of Tuskegee University, along with serving as an advisor to multiple US presidents. But during his time at Tuskegee, he was walking home through an affluent neighborhood one afternoon when he was stopped by a white woman outside of her home. The woman, unaware of who Washington was, told him that she'd pay him a few dollars to come and chop wood in her backyard. I'm sure that many of us, if we were in Washington's position, would have responded with some words not fit for this pulpit. But amazingly, he agreed and spent the next couple of hours chopping wood out in the blazing sun for her. And the entire situation would have gone by unnoticed, but when he finished and went to go stack the wood, someone else working in the woman's home recognized who he was. And the next day, while Washington was working in his office at Tuskegee, he received a surprise visit from the woman who was thoroughly embarrassed, to say the least. 
She apologized profusely and stated she had no idea who he was or she would never have asked him to do that kind of work. Washington told her that no apology was necessary and added that it was a delight to do something for a friend. And from that moment on, the woman became an active supporter of Tuskegee and encouraged many of her friends to do so as well. Now, there's certainly a feel-good aspect to this story of transformation. And we can certainly admire Washington's humility and graciousness. But we also can't forget that the entire scenario started because of a quiet moment of snap judgment and bias. And that even if there was no malice or ill intent, it still underscored that while he had been successful by any measure, the color of Washington's skin continued to affect how he was seen and treated. Slavery had been outlawed for decades when this incident occurred, and yet when that woman looked at him, he was anything but free. In her mind, he was just another person to be hired, still less than, no matter what the Emancipation Proclamation might say. And it's fair to wonder if she would have even apologized at all were it not for his status. If freedom truly existed for all, Washington would never have been put in that position in the first place. And there are countless stories and examples of those types of moments still happening today. After all, the stories of our history are not only about the past. They're stories that inform and inspire our future, and they are stories that inspire and inform the here and now as we collectively strive for a greater vision of who we are called to be as a country, yes, but ultimately as beloved children of God. One of those aspirational and beautiful visions comes from our second reading today from that seventh chapter of Revelation. The book of Revelation is best known for its vivid and striking imagery and the myriad of interpretations that have been made about John of Patmos's apocalyptic vision. But at its core, the book is undergirded by a hopeful vision of a future that God will one day bring to pass. In today's verses, we hear promises that contain echoes of the Israelites' time in the wilderness, that they will hunger and thirst no more, that the sun will no longer strike them, that God will guide them to springs of water of life, and God will one day wipe away every tear from their eye. We hope and pray that one day a world like that will indeed exist. But several verses earlier, John shares a vision of who it is that God has called. And it's an expansion of God's chosen people from Exodus. There's a great multitude that no one can count from every nation, all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne. As the biblical scholar William Pender notes in the scene from Revelation 7, this heavenly vision is not put in terms of the future. For John of Potmos, John the seer, this vision is the present and what is now. And the good news is that the future determines and creates the present. John is witnessing what will be, a time when all people are united, not united as one and the same, but united together in love as beloved children of God. And that vision must help us determine and create our present, even as we acknowledge that we have not yet fully arrived. And because of that, we continue to pray for wisdom and strength and guidance as we journey towards a day when all that divides us would be torn down, and towards a day when abundance and opportunity and freedom would truly be known by all. 
the way forward will not always be clear. And one of the challenges we face is that we are all on different places on that journey. But no matter where we are, John's vision can inspire us to keep pressing onward. It can be tempting whenever you find yourself in the wilderness to give up and to perhaps believe you may never see the journey through. That's exactly what Moses and the people were experiencing in that passage from Numbers out in the wilderness around Kadesh. They were tired. They were hungry and thirsty. It felt as though they had been traveling the same grounds, never getting closer to the promised land. And yet in the midst of that quarreling and uncertainty and doubt, God provided. God provided by helping Moses bring water out of a rock, refreshing and restoring them on their journey. Even if we are not yet where we want to be, whether personally or in our wider society or as a church, we trust that God still provides moments of triumph, moments of joy, moments of celebration, moments when water can be drawn from the rock for those who thirst from it. Those springs of life give us the strength to keep moving towards the future that God has promised. And they remind us that there are times when it is important to pause and give thanks to God, even when the road to that promised land, to that aspirational vision, remains unclear or uncertain. On this Juneteenth weekend, we hold to the promise and vision God has for all people. And we remember that every step on the road to true freedom is worth celebrating. We give thanks for all of the men and women who came before us, searching and working and struggling and advocating for true freedom, while also recognizing that each one of us has a role to play in the here and now as the journey to God's promised future continues. And we give thanks to God for that gift of a greater vision and the promise of a future when hunger and thirst will be no more, when God will wipe away every tear from our eyes, and when we truly gather as a great multitude from every nation, all tribes and peoples and languages gathered as beloved children of God. So may that promised future both determine and create our present as we continue this journey together. Amen.